0: Okay, full disclosure, we're not here to rock the flock. We're not here to jam for the lamb. We're not even here to give you excitation in anticipation of revelation. What we are here to do is give you the truth. We're here to walk with you where you're at. False prophets are very good at what they do. After all, they have Satan on their side. They're not within the bounds of their authority and are completely outside the authority of God. Again, these boundaries aren't hidden and are clearly located where everyone can see them. They are the front and back covers of your Bible. The gospel is this. I am a sinner. You're a sinner. We're all sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God by breaking his laws. We're all liars, thieves, adulterers, and murderers. We've all blasphemed in the name of God somehow. And we've all been adulterers at heart, at minimum, at some point. Hashtag lust. In short, we've sinned against him thousands upon thousands of times through thought, word, and deed. Look, my dad was a cop. I've always rooted for the good guys. I love justice. Most people do. And so does God. When we break our laws here on earth, there are consequences and penalties to be paid. How much more so is that possible by breaking the laws of God? And because we've sinned against an infinitely good and eternal God, It's only fitting the punishment for such crimes is also infinite and eternal. If we die in our sin, we will very righteously and very justly go to a very real place called hell. The lake of fire, worm will not die and the fire will not be quenched. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The smoke of your torment will rise day and night, as Revelation tells us in chapter 14, verses 9 through 11 that torment will never end because the worst part of hell isn't just being tormented both day and night it's being apart from god uh forever i cannot imagine anything more terrifying than having to think of the possibility of an eternity without my lord and savior and without the ability to ever get anywhere near him and for those in the back who came in late who think they may be able to earn their way in somehow with their works and deeds Please note that Isaiah chapter 64 tells us that our works are as filthy rags in the eyes of God. They will not save you and will profit you nothing. And I'm going to say something here that's probably going to step on some toes, but I love you enough to be honest with you. Just saying I love Jesus without an understanding of the gospel is just a hollow buzz phrase. God sent his son Jesus Christ to this earth, both fully God and fully man. Not a man who walked on earth who happened to lay aside his divinity, one person, two natures, who came and lived a perfect and sinless life to the pleasure and satisfaction of an almighty God. He never once broke any of God's laws. And he willingly came to lay down his life for us. His life wasn't taken. Don't ever believe this. And don't ever believe that his sacrifice could ever be cheapened by anything ever, much less the sinful and imperfect will of mankind. It was given. A perfect life was offered up as a perfect and spotless sacrifice, as an atonement for all of our sins up on that cross. This would satisfy the wrath of God, and three days later he would rise from the grave, defeating death once and for all, for all of us, and proving exactly who he said he was, God in human flesh and if you will turn your heart from sin and place your trust in the risen lord jesus christ he will save you you will pass from death to life you will begin to love what god loves and hate what god hates you will have a desire to grow in the knowledge of the lord and dive deeper into his word you will dive deeply and desire the truth And to be righteous when you're saved you will dwell in the holy spirit who will lead you towards the truth it would behoove you to follow it second corinthians chapter 7 verses 5 through 11 speaks about two different types of sorrow over sin a godly sorrow and a worldly sorrow a worldly sorrow is nothing more than a guilty conscience a worldly sorrow makes you ask yourself what would happen if me and my sins were exposed What would be the direct consequences towards me? And so we try to cover up our sin, not because we're grieving over it, but because we're avoiding the consequences of it. So here's the dipstick test for that. Ask yourself if you would go back to it if no one on earth would ever find out. If the answer is yes, that's a worldly sorrow. We all have. Either been or will be there, and the Bible says a worldly sorrow leads to death, eternal death. But then there's another kind of sorrow called a godly sorrow. What is a godly sorrow? The Bible says that it leads to repentance, which leads to salvation. A godly sorrow comes when we grieve over our sin because we know that our sin grieves God, and after all of His mercy, kindness, and overwhelming grace. It grieves us, it torques our souls to grieve the living God. Christians aren't perfect, but a true Christ follower, and I'm not talking about any religion here, grieves over the sin because who wants to be the one to grieve God? Followers of Jesus aren't perfect. But here's the thing, believers stumble into sin not swim in it, relish in it, plot and scheme to achieve it, pursue it, enjoy it, or look for opportunities for the next chance to engage in it. When we as Christians sin, whatever your particular flavor might be, it should grieve us. Let me give you an example of another sinner who was forgiven, but who was also seen as a man after God's own heart. King David, He was a peeping Tom. David schemed to meet with his buddy's wife after spying the goods. Of course, David then committed adultery with said woman hashtag Bathsheba. David then gets her pregnant and to cover the pregnancy as if that weren't enough. David then has Bathsheba's husband Uriah sent out into battle. To the most fierce and ferocious part of the battle both literally and figuratively to the tip of the spear and abandon him to die alone and overcome by the enemy in the battle Ooh, that's some cold blooded jody stuff right there in order to cover his adultery before she started showing by david's generals all of it because of that entered the prophet nathan So Nathan confronts David and says, you are that man. And God uses this to crush David. Broke him down like a shotgun. He breaks down. He repents. He asks God for forgiveness. And while God does forgive him, he doesn't erase the consequences of David's actions. The child conceived in this unholy union would die. And then there's David's three other kids. One of his sons raped his daughter. And upon finding out about it, the other brother assassinated the rapist brother. And you think you got issues with your kids. And then in Psalm 51, David cries out to God again, saying against you and you alone have I sinned, Yahweh. My sin is ever before me. You are righteous when you speak. You're lameless when you judge. I have zero excuses. I am undone. And this, my friends, is a godly sorrow, which did and does bring repentance and salvation for us all. John 1.12 tells us, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. And in case anyone has any lingering whatever about David being a Jody, just remember, God still used David's own bloodline to bring himself into this world. Imagine what he can do with you.